everyone, and welcome back to the Renew Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, business and mindset coach, Kieran Lenahan. I am glad you're here. If you're connected with me on Instagram, you know that last week I actually just decided to run a half marathon in April for the first time ever. I've never actually run a race longer than a 5K before. I've never even run longer than a 5K in a row in my life, at least to my knowledge. I was always an athlete. I played sports, basketball, and soccer, and I ran for those sports, but I never really enjoyed running for running's sake. And I'll still say I'm less than a week into training. I still don't feel like I enjoy running for running's sake. But this year, I was really just looking to stretch myself both physically and mentally in ways that I haven't in the past. I wanted to do something that required training over an extended period of time, and that would require a new level of mental fortitude, and commitment. And so the opportunity came up to go on a family trip to Hawaii in April, and they have a half marathon in Honolulu that I will be running. And, you know, like I said, I'm less than a week into training, and I started a training plan to kind of get myself ready. And what's really cool is that every single week, as the runs get longer, I'm doing something I've never done before every single week. And so last week I ran four and a half miles. And then on Saturday, I opted to run the 10K. That was part of my training plan. Um, I ran that out in the middle of the blizzard that we had here in the Northeast. Kind of crazy, but also really awesome and, and enjoyable in a weird way. There's something really exhilarating about pushing your limits and realizing that you're capable of way more than you think you are. And so in less than a week, My mental toughness is already stronger. I already love how it's changed, how I show up in my business differently as a result. I feel like I have more energy, more confidence. I feel more alive and honestly just more myself. And I've learned a couple of lessons already that have directly translated into my business. And I plan to share those here on the podcast as well as on my Instagram stories in the future. So if you're not already Connect with me on Instagram. I will link to it in the show notes and follow along. I'm going to use my stories to basically share bite-sized lessons on business, mindset, and strategy throughout the week and in between podcast episodes. But we are not here today to talk about running. Today, we're here for part two of our series where we're talking about money, wealth creation, God, and how your relationship with all of those things affect your business. Last episode, we really drove home this point that wealth creation is a calling, right? We elevated the view of creating wealth, hopefully, in your minds. Wealth creation is a calling. It's a God-given gift for entrepreneurs. And as we look through scripture, we see wealth talked about in three different ways. Hoarding, which was condemned. Sharing wealth, which was encouraged. And then wealth creation, which was applauded. And a great example of this being in Proverbs 31. And so one lesson that we learned from scripture around money is that wealth hoarding is wrong. Wealth sharing is encouraged, but there is no wealth to be shared unless it is first created. And the way that God wants us to use wealth is to advance his kingdom, to restore broken things, to alleviate poverty, to end human trafficking, to create jobs for people who don't have jobs, to bring healing to individual hearts, to restore families and improve communities, and ultimately to bring people into relationship with himself. At the end of the day, he 
he wants people to simply come to him and to be his. He wants their hearts. And at a very high level, that's the beautiful, good vision for how wealth can be used in the world to advance human flourishing, to bring people into relationship with God, and to have them experience the love that he has for them. Now, at the same time that we have this beautiful vision, we also need to acknowledge that there are plenty of passages and teachings in the Bible that warn of some very real dangers around the topic of money and wealth and material possessions. And again, not of money itself necessarily. Remember, money, we said last week, is neutral, just like rocks are neutral. But many writers in scripture warn of the dangers of how we relate to money, our attitudes and our heart posture towards it. And so in order to fully live into the beautiful vision that God has for wealth, we need to understand the warnings and take intentional steps to safeguard ourselves against the dangers of greed and the love of money, which we're going to spend some time talking about today. I'm currently reading a book called Beautiful Resistance, written by John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York City. It's a great book, highly recommend it. And in a chapter called Worship Must Resist Idolatry, he talks about how we don't drift into devotion or glide into godliness. Applying that to our conversation here, we don't just accidentally and naturally wake up one day and find ourselves having drifted into generosity and always putting God and his kingdom first in our lives. We are constantly swimming in cultural currents that are actually the exact opposite of that. And so for us, if we want to be disciples, if we want to be followers of Jesus, we want to be intentional about pursuing this beautiful vision that God has for wealth while also being acutely aware of the dangers associated with pursuing it. And if all we do is focus on the beautiful vision that God has for wealth, but we ignore the warnings, we're going to end up experiencing the very things that the warnings are trying to save us from. But, and here's the category I think most of us fall into, if all we do is focus on the warnings and none of the beautiful vision, we'll actually be cutting ourselves off from our own ability to do the very things that God has put us here to do as faith-driven entrepreneurs. So here's the roadmap for today. We're going to talk about what are the warnings in the Bible related to money. Uh, We're going to talk about the three reasons why the love of money is so powerful, why the allure of it is so powerful. Then we're going to talk about some signs that money might be competing with God for your heart. And then we're going to talk about two practices and principles that you can apply to do something about it. So what are the warnings? What are some of the signs that this might be something you need to spend some time working on? And then what are some practices and principles you can apply to do something about it? Let's start with why the Bible has so much to say, so much to warn about when it comes to the topic of money and the love of money. So what does the Bible say? Again, there's a lot, but I want to give you a sampling here. First, starting off with some of what Jesus has to say is recorded in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 12, it says, Then he said to them, he being Jesus, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In Matthew chapter 6, probably one of the most famous teachings of Jesus on money, he says, 
you cannot serve both God and money. And there's obviously more context around that sentence. In Mark and Matthew, Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Psalm 62 verse 10 says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Ecclesiastes 5 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. 1 Timothy chapter 6, a couple of uh, excerpts from, from this chapter, verses 9 and 10 say, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And as I read that, I can't help but first picture all of the stories that we've seen of celebrities and athletes and people who seem to have it all, have the riches, have the wealth, and yet their lives uh, are plunged into ruin and destruction and broken relationships and drugs and all of that. But then at the same time, I hear Jesus's words of take the plank out of your own eye before trying to remove the speck out of others. And so we need to let these words, we need to let these verses search us individually as listeners and as readers of it before we go out and point where we see this happening in other people. One more excerpt from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, these are just a handful. I mean, this is six excerpts from thousands in the Bible around the topic of money. And I want to encourage you to spend time with these passages, not just the verses that I shared, but the surrounding context. These are are really just rich places for you to spend some time with, to do this in community with other people, to journal and to, to ask God to speak to you through these passages. Because as much as I would like to, we're not going to spend hours and hours going verse through verse and just breaking down everything that the Bible says. But I want to give you three reasons that we can see in some of these verses and some other passages why the love of money is so powerful that it's spoken of as the root of all kinds of evil and why the Bible goes to such extreme lengths to warn us about what it can lead to. So let's frame the three reasons with the gist of what this warning is, right? The primary warning that Jesus and other writers in the Bible are trying to communicate to us is against putting money and wealth and material possessions on the throne of our hearts. What I mean by that is placing it above God on our priority list, making it the primary, the biggest, or the most important object of our desire. They're warning us against putting money in that number one spot, putting wealth on the throne of our hearts. They're warning against idolatry. And idolatry is very simply defined as the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. Now with that, let's talk about three reasons why 
the love of money is so powerful. The first is that it's sneaky. Jesus literally says, be on guard, be on your guard. And there's an exclamation point. And when I think about it, there aren't that many quotes or sayings of Jesus where he's exclaiming something with with that level of emphasis to the point where there's an exclamation point, which begs the question, why do we need to be on guard? In one sermon, Timothy Keller joked that typically when you're sinning, you know it with other sins, right? You know if you're killing somebody, if you're committing adultery, you don't wake up in the morning and look over at the person next to you in bed and say, wait a minute, you're not my spouse. Tim Keller also uh, has shared a, a number of times that he gave a sermon series on the seven deadly sins where they took one sin each week and they talked about it. And guess which one had the lowest attendance? Greed. Why is that? It's because nobody thinks that they're greedy or that they have a problem with idolizing money. It's sneaky. It's the kind of thing that's very easy or seemingly easy to recognize and see in other people, but it's something that's often very hard to detect in ourselves. So reason number one, it's sneaky. The love of money is sneaky. Reason number two, it is uniquely powerful. In a presentation for faith-driven investors, Andy Crouch, who is a partner for theology at Praxis Labs, he's written a number of really amazing books. He broke down why wealth is the number one competitor with God for our hearts. And he talks about the fact that money is unique in three different ways compared to other types of power, right? If you think about money as a kind of power, you have the power to, to do certain things with it. And he compares why money is so unique. And he says that it's, number one, it's storable. You can save it up for future use. Number two, it's fungible. You can trade it for other valuable things. And number three, it's countable. You know how much you have, right? And so imagine you're the CEO of a company, right? You have a lot of power, but that power is limited in some ways. It doesn't extend to other companies. Maybe you can influence adjacent businesses or the industry or maybe vendors you interact with, but you can't be the boss of any other company the way that you are in your company. You can't store up that power for when you're not CEO later in life. You can't trade part of your position as CEO for some valuable thing like a car or a house. And when you're CEO, you certainly have a lot of power and maybe you have some voting rights within the company, but you can't quantify and say, I have exactly this much power and this much sway. Money and wealth gives you power. It gives you the ability to get things done in the world, but it's unique in that it's the only power that you can accumulate, know exactly how much of it you have, and use it to get pretty much anything else on earth that you want by trading it. And so it's very, very unique. It gives you a lot of power, and it's the closest thing that something that you can worship can come to God without actually being God. Reason number three, the surrounding culture that we live in normalizes the narrative that a happy life is the goal of life and that wealth is the ultimate source of happiness. The media and the greater culture glorifies a life of opulence and wealth and freedom. Magazines and social media and news stories, 
sell us the lie that if you only had more money, then you would be happy. Then you will be fulfilled. Then you will be secure. Then you will feel significant and worthy. Now, add all of this up, and there are a bunch more reasons that we can talk about, but those are three of the big ones. If you add all of those up, we now have the biggest competitor with God for our attention, our devotion, and our hearts. And if we let it, money can give us a false sense of identity based on how much of it we have. Desiring money more than desiring God results in us drawing our primary sense of identity from how much we have rather than on God. And a good litmus test that we can use to identify where we're drawing our primary identity from is to ask about two things, security and significance. What are the things that give us our ultimate sense of security and significance? So let's start with security. Fill in the blank here. If I have blank, then I know I'll be safe and okay and secure. Or fill in the blank with where you get your ultimate significance from. If I have blank, then I'll know that I'm good enough, that I'm worthy, that I'm significant or loved or have meaning. Now, if you filled either of those blanks with money, that's a sign that money is operating as an idol in your life. And that is so good to know. And that's now something that you can invite God in and ask him to restore and to make right and to help you work through that. Now, beyond just those fill in the blanks as a litmus test, how do we know if any part of us from a business perspective as an entrepreneur is falling into the trap that Jesus and the other authors in the Bible are warning us about? So I'm going to run through a bunch here and just recognize if any of these sound familiar or resonate with you. Money might be operating as an idol if it consumes your thinking. When your head hits the pillow at night, are you thinking about how you can get the next client? When you wake up, are you immediately thinking about how you can make money? Or when you have free time and you're not working and you just allow your brain to drift and you're daydreaming, are they related to having more money? When your mind just has space to drift, does it often drift to thoughts about having more money and what that will bring you? Next one, maybe you're fixated on a destination. You tell yourself things like, I'll be happy once I get to this point in the business. I'll be okay once I have this much in savings. I'll feel less anxious when I make it to this point. You essentially tell yourself that you don't run a legit business or that you're not a real entrepreneur unless you reach a certain point in your business. Maybe you struggle to invest money in the business in the name of frugality. And I talked about this from a a different perspective in episode four, why you should either quit or go all in. But sometimes when money is an idol, we hold on to it because of that security. And so to let go of that, to invest money in the business feels like a threat to our security. And so you might think about hiring a coach, for example, to help you move the business forward, but that feels really risky emotionally, right? That might be a sign. Maybe you feel guilty taking time off from your business, or you just don't take time off at all. You say to yourself, I can't justify taking any time off until I reach X amount of revenue in the business. And if you do take vacation, you might feel really uneasy the whole time, like you're living a lie, or it feels like 
you're skipping school and you're going to get caught. Maybe it's none of those things. Maybe you exaggerate your marketing in really subtle ways to make it more likely for someone to hire you. For example, making up or embellishing a client testimonial or exaggerating the results that you helped someone achieve or promising a result that you can't deliver on. Maybe you're focused on what's in it for me instead of how can I be of service when you're approaching the day-to-day tasks in your business. When you start your day or your week, what's the first question you ask yourself? Is it, how can I bring in a client and get paid? Which isn't a bad question to be asking, but you can ask that from a very needy place of scarcity or from a place of service. Like, I really want to serve people and meet people's needs. How can I go about doing that? What is your heart posture there? Is it, what's in it for me? How do I get? Or how can I be of service and how can I give? Maybe you find yourself giving discounts in the moment, deciding in the middle of the conversation to lower your prices because you don't want to lose a sale. Or maybe your criteria for success on a discovery call with a potential client is whether or not they hire you. Now, we're going to talk about discovery calls here on the podcast, but the goal of them is not for the other person to hire you. The goal is to help them make a firm, informed, conscious decision of either yes or no to working with you. If you're attached to someone becoming a client and paying you money being the outcome of a discovery call, it might be because you're more focused on the money than on serving the person in front of you. And one last one, piggybacking on last episode, love of money or idolizing money can also paradoxically show up as fear of talking about money and never feeling comfortable on the subject, whether it's with a friend or family member, or a potential client. If money is something that you have a lot of fear or anxiety around, and it might be for good reason, I know some of you have just gone through really traumatic events, either recently or in childhood related to money. Either way, it's a sign that money has a hold on you that God wants to break. If you feel uncomfortable, anxious, fear around it, that's something that God wants to break. And so if any or many of these sound familiar or resonate with you, what do you do about it? Step one is always awareness. So now you have it. Now you want to start noticing that throughout your day when it shows up in your business. Write them down somewhere so you know the exact thoughts or actions that you're working on changing. Step two, you need to know that there's another way, a new relationship with money is available, it's possible, and it's inevitable if you decide that you want it and ask God to help you get there. The reality is you can experience freedom from money consuming your thinking. You can learn to enjoy the process of building your business, not just wait for a destination. You can invest money in your business with a sense of peace and excitement. You can take time off without feeling guilty. You can operate with integrity in all of the nooks and crannies of your business. You can renew your mind to default to focusing on how you can serve others instead of what's in it for me. You can hold true to your pricing and still serve people deeply. You can get on a discovery call unattached to whether or not they hire you, totally unattached and only attached to whether or not they make a good decision that's informed and conscious that they feel good about. And you can feel that weight lift off of your shoulders when you talk about money openly 
with a potential client or just with anyone. You can experience that freedom. Now, how can I say that with so much confidence? Where do you think all of these examples came from? They came from personal experience. Everything that I just shared was either something I personally did or they've come from my experience coaching my clients or both. And these things don't have to take that long. This isn't a five or 10 year journey necessarily. A lot can change in a couple of months. That other way, that other relationship with money that I just talked about, that's not only possible, it's inevitable if you decide you want it and you do the work and ask God to work these things out in you. Not only will your life just as a person be more free, that freedom has tangible impact on your bottom line and in your ability to serve the world and expand the kingdom through your business. So this isn't just like, oh, you're going to feel so much better. This will literally make your work more impactful in the world. And until you experience that freedom, you're missing out on opportunities to be of deeper service to other people. So step one, awareness. Step two, know that there's another way. And step three, there are a couple of principles. I want to talk about two uh, principles or practices as we wrap up that can help us live into a new relationship with money and create a new relationship. I chose these two because as I've experienced them with myself and with my clients, they've been the most impactful practices. The first one is generosity. Now, next week's episode is going to be a ton of fun. We're going to go in-depth on generosity, and we're also going to answer the question, how much money is enough money that I've gotten from a number of you? But with regards to generosity, there is no better guardrail, no better weapon to break the power of greed, no better tool to prevent hoarding than generosity. For us, this specifically means giving money away to ministries, to the materially poor, to neighbors in need. I can't think of something that was so painful at first that has become such a source of freedom and joy than giving. We'll get to specifics next week. We'll talk about tithing and how much to give, who to give to, ways to give, what to give. But there is so much joy and so much power and generosity. Jesus meant it when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Part of the joy and the beauty of our call as faith-driven entrepreneurs to wealth creation is generosity. The more we create, the more we can give. The second principle is transparency. What do I mean by transparency? I mean, bring the topic of money, your relationship with it, and how you use it into the light. Make it transparent. Practically, this can mean having regular conversations with another person or a group of people about money. For my clients, I serve this role as their coach. We have a safe space to talk about money, their goals related to money, their thought patterns and unconscious beliefs around money that we bring awareness to, that we process, so they can move further and further into that new, healthier relationship that we talked about earlier. You can also do this with close friends or a mentor. The idea is you want to have regular, ongoing conversations that provide transparency and accountability. Greed and lust for money and love of money and coveting money, they feed on the darkness. 
They love to not be talked about. They love to not be looked at. Again, there's such a freedom in bringing it into the light in the presence of other people. Transparency also means being transparent with God. One of my favorite quotes uh, as of late is this, God can't transform the people that we're pretending to be. Bring what you need help with to God. Let him in. Ask him to show you what he's working on in your heart. Ask him to show you where in scripture to look so that he can work on those things. Ask him to point you towards the people that he wants you to speak to and work with to be able to make changes to your relationship with money and to your relationship with him. First Timothy chapter six, verses 18 and 19 say this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Money is temporary. We don't take it with us when we go. But when you work on your relationship with money and learn how to use it for eternal purposes, you're laying up treasures in heaven and you're taking hold of the life that is truly life. Let's wrap up. God wants to sit on the throne on that number one spot of your heart. And throughout the Bible, the message is clear. Idolatry is placing anything except for God in that number one spot. As an entrepreneur, it is very likely that money will be the biggest competitor with God for that number one spot. But we need to recognize money cannot, it cannot satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts, ultimate security, ultimate significance, loved, worthy. Only God can provide those things. Every other thing that you treasure, everything that competes with God for your heart demands things of you. You have to sacrifice time and money and effort to get them. You have to sacrifice time and money and effort to acquire money and wealth and material things. But Jesus is the only treasure that sacrificed for you. That's real security. That's real significance. He values and loves you enough to do that. The God of the universe who created you loved you enough to die for you. And the more that we're moved by that, and the more that we get our security and identity and sense of enoughness from that, the less power money will have over you and your life and your business. The more you'll stop looking for money to give you significance and security, and the easier it will become to give away money and be generous. Next week, we're going to zoom in on generosity, how generosity can be a powerful fuel for your business. And we're going to answer a fun, common question that I've gotten from some clients and from some of you via Instagram. How much money is enough money? Can't wait to dig into that. If you've got other burning questions on the topic of money, just shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm going to link my profile to the show notes so you can connect with me there and I will do my best to address it here on the podcast. And if you want to work with me, whether it's to grow your business or spend more time with your family or incorporate your relationship with God in more depth and specificity into the day-to-day of your business, head to the link in the show notes to apply. My client roster is currently full, but the next slot will open up 
in March. And so if you're interested in that, head to that link and apply as soon as possible. That's all for today. Have a great rest of your week and I will see you next time here on the Renew Your Mind podcast. Mm -hmm.